Hello and welcome to the ALC Pan-African Radio's Talking Africa program. Talking Africa provides in-depth interviews with experts and other actors in the field of peace and security in Africa. Hello, I'm Desmond Davis. My guest today is Yusuf Mahmoud from Tunisia, who spent many years at the UN, ending up leading two peace operations in Africa. He is currently a visiting fellow at the African Leadership Centre at King's College, London. Uh, Yusuf, you've just written a book with the title, Whose Peace Are We Building? It's very, very apt, isn't it, considering all the problems that uh, UN peace missions have had, specifically in Africa? Indeed. We wanted to demystify what that problem is and question some of the solutions that were offered to address that problem. Yes. Yes, and indeed, I must say that the book is quite revealing. And <laughs> how, will, how will your colleagues take it at the UN headquarters? Because it shows a lot of shortcomings, which uh, should have been obvious in the first place. Indeed, Desmond. It's, um, we have inherited a frame of thinking yes. that problematizes everything. Uh, the UN was created to prevent a problem. So the starting point is the problem. Yes. It's the sort of problem-solving mindset that we have inherited. Yes. So it's very much ingrained in their methodology and approach of how to address peace problems. So the starting point is always a problem. And when you come with a different idea to say, wait a minute, let us study what the norm is, which is peace. That peace is the norm, not the exception. Then they get lost because they feel unneeded, because they feel there is no problem. So it hasn't really... It hasn't really been accepted uh, that we can have a different approach where we treat peace as the norm rather than the exception. Well, well, the problem really is that uh, the UN and the people it's supposed to protect are always speaking across purposes. The UN comes with with, uh, ready-made ideas which do not fit. I'm sure you had that experience yourself when you landed in... uh, Burundi and then uh, uh, Chad and uh, yes, my dear friend, I I perfected those um, uh, assumptions, those practices, those yes. prescriptions um, in good faith because until I retired, I didn't really question them. I yes. thought that the mandate came from the Security Council. It's good for Africa. It's good for peace. And therefore, I faithfully executed them without questioning their powerful assumptions. Yes. But, but like you said, of course, the Security Council is full of members that have they look after their own personal uh, geopolitical interest. So that should have sounded a warning that uh, this mission you're going on might be fraught with all sorts of problems. Well, I, I, I tell you, I am... I am what you call an unlettered practitioner. I, I have yes. learned by doing. Yes. So international relations 
and, and, and peace and conflict studies was not really part of my academic background. As yes. you have noted from the book, I'm a linguist by training. Yes, yes, of course. And so I did not have that luxury to take a, a step back and say, wait a minute, this is what the Security Council dictates. But actually, the reality allows different things or doesn't, doesn't allow other things. So it's only after I retired yes. that I started reflecting on some of those errors that I perfected in good faith, trying to build peace with very little to show for it, except that I was recognized for that effort because yes. I made my organization look good. Well, well, exactly. I mean, in the book, you mentioned two important things, which for me as a journalist are crucial. That's context and listening. You know, I mean, it's very, very good that you decided that you put the solutions within the local context rather than some prescription made in New York where people sit in air-conditioned offices. That, that, that is correct. Yes, yes. Yeah, that is correct. That is correct, Desmond. I, I have learned, as I mentioned in the book, the art and craft of listening since my young age. And I honed those skills and practices yes. by working with very eminent African mediators and conflict resolution specialists that I was honored to accompany and support. And the two things that I have kept from that experience is the, the importance, the vital importance of suspending judgment and certainties and listen with the intent to understand, not with the intent to help or solve. Yes. And, and that's a natural uh, inclination because you want to help. And so yes, exactly. when you are under the tyranny of the urgent, you want to do something. Yes, but of course, as you know, there are always people pulling in different directions. And those people who are supposed to be working with you, those in authority, those who are responsible for causing the conflict in the first place, will be making life difficult for you. Indeed. Indeed, because they didn't really always like an outside presence breathing yes. over their necks. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, uh, because the council is an intergovernmental body, yes, uh, it's an interstate body, uh, has espoused the belief that the state can start a conflict the state can end the conflict and the state can build the peace. All the research has shown yes. that, yes, the state can do both the, the first two things. It can certainly create a problem and conflict and violence. It can, if it is in the interest, can stop the violence and the conflict. But the state alone cannot build peace. But the council tends to listen only to the government and the state. Well, exactly, because, I mean, the point is, let's face it, the people who fight in conflict are not the leaders. The foot soldiers are those poor people who end up killing themselves. Can't the UN try to craft a message to tell the ordinary people that conflict is not in your interest? Have we ever tried to do that? To tell, to tell them that, look, politicians are just using you. Don't fall into that trap. Did you try to do that in any of your missions? 
You're absolutely right. We have uh, we have uh, tried, but we had in in uh, to convey that message. Yes. Because I'm appointed by intergovernmental organization, I must convey that message without alienated, without alienating yes. the entity, the government entity to which I was appointed. Uh, so it's a, it's a it's a delicate balance, and that's where leadership comes in. How do you go about uh, your business of peacemaking or peace building or peace consolidation that is inclusive without uh, uh, having uh, the government being angry and maybe ending up withdrawing its consent? Yes, indeed. I think you had some problems in Burundi, didn't you? Uh, when you when you're supposed to. Uh, present the uh, report to the Secretary General, the Foreign Minister himself went to present the report. How did that play play out? Um, the Minister, um, you know, as my third year came to an end, yes. felt that I was not uh, uh, impartial in in the execution of my mandate. And um, that I uh, sided more with the opposition yes. than the ruling party and the government. Mm. And therefore, a time has come for me to move on. Yes. Um, that message was clearly conveyed to the Secretary General. But what surprised me is that in a formal briefing of the Security Council, he should reiterate that. Yes. Um, so that is what happens when when you do your job yes. with impartiality, but you cannot do it just being neutral. You cannot be neutral can, when human rights are <laughs> exactly yes. exactly. So, yes, yeah, so, but in these reports, really, that you send not just you, but UN offices in Africa sent to the Secretary General in terms of peace and security. How accurate are they? Because I mean. Most of you UN guys, you just sit in the capital and then write your reports. Isn't that the case? Not always. Not always. Uh, in, in, certainly in my, in my case, I have endeavored to convey a holistic, uh, mm. a, a, as a holistic picture as possible, sometimes to such extent that it, it did not please the government. Yes. Because we did not follow the standard top-down line as the government would wish to have it. So as a, as a, as a, as a representative of the Secretary General, you have to be ready to defend uh, what you believe is a, an accurate depiction of the reality, even though it may not be what the government would wish you to, to convey. Yes, in your experience, what has been the relationship between... Uh... UN staff and the locals, because I, from my own example, visited Sierra Leone and Liberia where they had a uh, huge uh, UN, uh, UN presence. And the UN staff appeared to be uh, behaving as the new colonialists. They were throwing their weight about, flashing, flash cars, spending money, and people were upset about the whole thing. Uh, did you encounter that? sort of reaction among locals in the way UN staff behaved? I certainly encountered it, Desmond, when I was working in Cambodia, which was yes. my first 
peacekeeping experience. Yes. Um, and I was appalled by mm. it. Yes. So I drew a number of lessons from it. And I applied it. Let me give you an example. When I first mm. arrived in Burundi, yes. uh, there was my arm-plated car. And there is an advanced security detail ahead of me, another car. Yes. And there is one behind me. Yes. And they would flash the blue light so I could pass and stop the traffic. I was appalled. Yes, you you are the new head of state. I was appalled. I was absolutely appalled. And I put an end to it. Yes. I put an end to it. But I must say, uh, the UN has learned. And UN Mm -hmm. staff are briefed, inducted in the proper behavior. Not that there is no exceptions. But that we are there to be servants of peace. Yes. Not the opposite, not self-serving. And I certainly made it very clear to my team that that would be the, 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 the conduct that we should display in the execution of our mandate. Yeah, because there's been some, there was some reluctance of mem- by members of staff to go onto the uh, areas of oppression. Because I remember Kofi Annan made that point a while back to say that you cannot just sit in New York and decide what's happening in Africa or wherever. And the staff union objected to that. I mean, how, how did that work out? That they don't want to go on assignment while things are difficult. Things have changed drastically, Desmond. Okay. Um, in fact, if you want to be considered for for a career with the UN yes. and you want to move up and you are in the peace and security field, uh, sitting in New York will not serve you well. Yes. In fact... Uh, uh, Kofi, uh, I mean, uh, the, his successor, Ban Ki-moon, uh, made it one of the conditions for upward mobility. Yes. Uh, so that has, has, has changed. And in fact, people now uh, look forward to, to a, a, a short-term or a long-term assignment uh, in order to be credibly considered for, for advancement. And, 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 but I think that the, uh... The hardship allowance also helps. The hardship allowance uh, helps, but it has been reviewed. Let me give you an example. So, uh, for example, if you're serving in the DRC, which I visited in 2019, um, and you live in Kinshasa, you don't have hardship allowance. Exactly. So it has been revisited. Uh, It has been uh, sort of rationalized. Um, uh, and and some improvements have 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 taken uh, place. Yes. In uh, Chad, you had serious problems with local staff. How did you handle that? It's one of those things that I did not expect I would encounter. Yes. To be frank with you, mm. I did not uh, in, uh, expect that I would have internal uh, problems. I expected some but not the, the, the type I described in my book where I arrived one day uh, on my way to the, to the headquarters of the mission I was leading in Jamina. Yes. And the, my security details takes us to the mission through the back door. Yes. Only to know that I have a massive protests in the front of the, uh, in the front of the, uh, of the front gates. Yes. Um, because they felt that they had a number of grievances that have remained unsolved. And since I was coming 
to gradually close the mission, they were afraid that these grievances would be would would remain unanswered if the mission were to fall down and not address them. And so listening, by the way, Desmond, in that particular circumstance, came very, very handy. Uh, as you know, uh, listening is a human need. Uh, to be listened and to listen is fundamentally human. Not that you will solve the problem, but the fact that you have, without a judgment, open and listening is already part of the solution because they feel they are heard. Yes. And therefore, it creates a background for mutual conflict resolution of the of the problem, yes. and that's what I that's what I what I described. But you're right; I did not expect it, and thank goodness I knew uh, how I can exercise the capacity to to listen um, with the intent to understand. Yes, even with communication, you know, in Africa, various cultural aspects will will mean different interpretation of, of your message. How did you cope with that? I had, I had, uh, uh, I took a series of um, steps uh, in order to ensure that the listening is effective. The first one is to listen to the representative of that crowd outside that door. Yes. And then they understood my good faith disposition to address their grievances. They took that message and then conveyed it. So I was not the, f- the first one to, to address it. So they were able in their local language and in their, and since yes. they are their representative, they've elected them. Yes. They were able to convey the bona fide of goodwill for the mission to address their grievances. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure you also had to overcome the uh, problem of uh, people in Africa don't trust in authority, don't trust the government. Did, they, they, did your UN experience uh, show that, that uh, you were not trusted by the people? Well, um, as you know, you're, a, you're, a, you're an observer, uh, Desmond, of the African uh, context, Uh, you're a keen observer, and you know in many parts of uh, our, in many parts of our continent, Mm -hmm. the state is not a referent. The state is not trusted. Uh, And and those who are in power, uh, unfortunately, as you know, uh, not in all Africa, but in most parts, tend to be busy with power rather than governance. Yes. With self-serving rather than serving. Yes. And therefore, there is a mistrust between the state and the citizen. When we are deployed in a particular mission, when that is the case, we need to be a bridge, but not a substitute of the state. Yes, yes. Because it's, it, it is delicate. It's a delicate balance. And that's where the leadership, the mission leadership need, need to be careful. Yes. Not to, not to appear that they are the government or the substitute yes. of the government. 
however deficient that government might be. You are listening to Talking Africa on the ALC Pan-African Radio. Stay tuned. Welcome back. My guest today is Yusuf Mahmoud from Tunisia, who spent many years at the UN ending up leading two peace operations in Africa. He's currently a visiting professor at the African Leadership Centre at King's College, London. You mentioned some of the uh, reasons why we have conflict in Africa, uh, that uh, state institutions fail to provide adequate basic services, employment opportunities, and protection for large segments of the population. But this is obvious for any politician. These are the things that you're supposed to do as a politician. Why do we still have these sort of problems 60 years of independence in Africa. That's, the, that's what politicians are supposed to do for their people, isn't it? My, my brother, it's, it's, a good, it's a good question, and it has been debated yes. um, ad nauseum, as you know. Yes. Um, and uh, unfortunately, uh, in many of these leaders uh, confuse politics with political parties and yes. governance with government. And, and it's, it's become a business, uh, you know, uh, seeking, uh, power, uh, not to serve, but to serve oneself. Yes. Um, but, uh, this model, unfortunately, is also being supported by outside first forces who would like that, that, uh, particular form of governance, uh, uh stay. Because yes. it serves certain interests. Um, and, and so, and therefore, uh, um, it's gonna take some time for that to change. And when it, when it is so untenable, then we get conflict. Yes. We get yes. violent conflict. We get yes. massive, massive street process, uh, protests yes. that yes. sometimes turn violent. Yes. Uh, you know, you know what's going to happen. So when a particular country goes through particular uh, um, violence that, that how shall I put it, threatens some interests mm-hmm. and, 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 the, and the world order as, as some powerful nations conceive of it, they, 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 un, they go through a, a juridical gymnastic within the Security Council Yes. To determine that that particular situation out of hand constitute the threats to international peace and security. Well, exactly, because all these problems you mentioned in your book about having in Africa happen in Europe and America. But politicians ensure in Europe and America that these problems are resolved. It's, it's nothing altruistic. It's because if you don't solve these problems, you'll have the same revolution you have in Africa. So why can't African leaders just realize that uh, that's the best way out of uh, conflict? I, you know, um, it's going to take some time, but there is a growing, there is a, a, a growing uh, realization that we need uh, to stop blaming the others and take ownership yes. of this transformation of the way we govern ourselves. It's 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 gradually dawning upon them that if they continue. To do that, they will no longer be in power. And yes. you have seen uh, that uh, that elections are no longer trusted. 
yes, as a peaceful means of alterness. Yes. So either the street or the military yes. will, bring, will bring about change. And so there are uh, gradually some lessons being learned. And we see some peaceful alternance. So hopefully, uh, and this is why there is a need for grooming a new kind of leadership to take, to to, to gradually be in 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 a position of power and service. And this is why I have joined the Africa Leadership Center as a visiting yes. professor to, to yes. contribute to the incubation yes. of a new type of leadership. Yes. And, and hopefully it's, it's question of time, uh, uh, my brother. It's question of time. It's going to, yes. by, by, by force or by necessity. And I yes. think uh, th- th- this is gradually taking, uh, taking place as younger and younger people are uh, brought uh, up to the decision-making circles. Yes. You mentioned the Ubuntu, you know, the uh, South African concept of peacekeeping. Uh, How do you see that working within the African context? To be frank with you, I was not aware of Ubuntu when I was... uh, Of course, yes, yes, I know. It's only later on when I was uh, revisiting and uh, questioning uh, the uh, some of the uh, moorings for uh, peace consolidation for leadership that I have discovered Ubuntu, yes, uh, which is uh, an African way of relating to the others. Yes, you know, peace, as you know, uh, Desmond, is about the quality of relations. Yes, peace is how I relate to the other. Without fear. Yes. Peace is recognizing that my destiny is intimately linked to the destiny of the other. Yes. That I cannot be in peace if the other person is suffering. Yes. And so Ubuntu is a relational philosophy that I am because you are. And if we were to revisit uh, some of the assumptions that have informed uh, peacemaking and peacekeeping, Ubuntu has many lessons uh, that that will share with us. And one of the lessons that I drew up is that if you are facing with a problem as an outsider, listen to the solution that already exists by the insiders. Yes. And the insiders are going to tell you Let's look at what brings us together yes. rather than what divides us and yes. use what the force of what brings us together to solve what divides us. That's the spirit of Ubuntu. Well, indeed, that was the spirit uh, Nelson Mandela wanted to evoke during the Libya crisis. You know, that right. uh, African, African leaders were going to go there to use right. Ubuntu to resolve the problem. But Ban Ki-moon was over, overruled by NATO, who told the AU that it cannot guarantee the safety of African leaders because NATO was going to bomb uh, 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 Libya. So that, that, that was a serious misgiving because look at the problem now uh, of Libya that, that has extended to the Sahel and Mali. That was basically NATO's fault. Would you agree with that? I think it's, it's not uh, Ban Ki-moon's uh, uh, only 
uh, challenge in this particular case, uh, Desmond. Yes, yes. The, it's the Security Council. Yes. Who has decided in a, in a, in a, in a, in a atmosphere of hubris. Yes. Uh, because of the geopolitical interest that that country attracted. Yes. And they, and they abused this, uh, emerging responsibility to protect uh, to mount that that offensive and and squeeze the oxygen out of other initiatives. Yes. And everyone is paying the price of that misguided adventure. Indeed, yes. In in the Sahel and and in Mali. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. So plenty of lessons have been have been learned and one of the lessons that uh, uh, was learned was led by brazil at that time and yes. they changed, and they said responsibility to protect yes the international community have responsibility to protect but after you have exhausted the the indigenous the yes. indigenous and indigenous capacity to prevent it from getting worse and therefore they came with the with the concept of the responsibility while protecting yes. that you want to make sure that you don't unwittingly exacerbate the situation by trying to protect the people well exactly because the, the, the failings you point out in your book that uh, in most of African countries were not there in Libya. The, the Libyan people were fine, they were looked after, they were protected by the, the regime. In fact, Afri- Sub-Saharan Africans were going there to work because the Libyans didn't want to work. So you wonder why this uprising came when in Libya, lifestyles were a lot better f- for the Libyans than in most African countries. And you, and you mean, as you know, uh, Desmond, as human beings... Uh, we have hierarchy of needs. Yes, we yeah. want to address our basic needs, which is, you know, shelter, food, security. And then you start uh, aspiring to other needs, which is yeah. feeling that you can speak your mind without fear. Yes. That you can uh, protest without fear that you can, that you should expect to be involved in uh, the running of your country and so on. And so uh, given that in many uh, parts in the, in Africa and particularly in that part of the Arab world, um, uh, you know, dissent, legitimate dissent was stifled. Yes. And, And Tunisia basically blew the cork of the bottle. Yes. Uh, it just spread. They, they yes. felt that they could do it too. Um, uh, and unfortunately, uh, outside helpers, um, did not give enough space for yes. that dynamics to play out. Um, and, and they've, they have accelerated, um, the demise of a regime that was so ingrained and therefore yes. created yes. a lose-lose scenario for everyone. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh, coming to the uh, UN itself and its relationship with the US, uh, how 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 do you view that? Because John Bolton was a huge critic of the UN, saying it was inefficient, 
and bloated. How do you see the U.S.'s relationship with the U.N.? It's ups and down, as you know. It depends who is heading the administration in Washington. Yes, of course. Um, it is now improving, uh, that relationship. Yes. Um, I must say that, um, in my view, the current Secretary General did a good job got to yes. uh, unleash uh, the ire of the former uh, tenant of the White House. Yes. Uh, uh, so... Uh, it it is um, you know the UN is is a scapegoat, yes. um, and the it tends to be um, blamed uh, for the failings of its member states or the lack yes. of political will to advance certain agendas, um, and that's the ch- leadership challenge of any uh, secretary general. And so the UN has to live now with uh, a different kind of uh, geopolitical uh, uh, mindset. Uh, there are uh, multipolar world that we live in now. Yeah. Um, uh, but the US, uh, whether we like it or not, is, is crucial for, for, it, uh, for its continued relevance. Uh, yeah. You know, it still contributes uh, the biggest share of the budget. Yes. Yes. Um, and so it is always going to be a challenge, uh, given where the UN is, which in the United States, and given the the fractious politics uh, yeah. uh, within the US that invariably uh, impact on the UN. Yes. Uh, what, about the, what about the Security Council itself? I mean, it's always full of division. What if you? And what about Africa's position wanting a permanent member? Will, will that come to pass? It is still a, it is still a legitimate uh, uh, demand. Yes. Uh, it is still there on on the table. Uh, it's going to. Uh, it's one of the uh, biggest. Uh, uh, how shall I put it? Impediment yes. on credibility of the UN uh, in the area of peace and security. Uh, a, a Security Council uh, that has not evolved. With the times. That being said, um, the 10 elected members are yeah. really innovating uh, in various, in various ways to uh, uh, reflect um, the wishes of the rest of the world. And the, the three African members are yeah. increasingly working very hard. Yeah. Uh, to uh, uh, reflect the needs and the aspiration of the African continent in the areas of peace and security within, albeit, is still a, an anachronistic yes. uh, 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 composition of the, of the, of the Security Council. Um, so, um, hopefully, uh, the General Assembly the UN General Assembly will gradually be reformed to be increasingly the voice of the people. Uh, and that is something we are moving, the UN is moving towards, is to give a seat to the voice of we, the peoples, yes. not we, the governments only. But in, in most instances, the, the UN is firefighting, sending in peacekeepers and then trying to build the peace. But don't they have long-range forecasts to see that uh, 
there might be problems in certain areas and try to stop the conflict from starting. I mean, we, we, uh, the world has been caught wrong-footed by what's happening in Mozambique. I mean, that, that's a very serious uh, situation in Mozambique. Doesn't, doesn't the UN have this sort of long-range forecast to tell where conflict might uh, arise? To prevent they do indeed. They do indeed, uh, Desmond. And the UN yes. Secretariat yes. has a huge number of staff dedicated yes. to, uh, to scanning the horizon yeah. and advising and advising the Secretary General and through him the Security Council when they see black clouds are gathering yes. and the conflict is likely to transform into violence. Yes. And the Secretary General has um, means to discreetly uh, mm. use his good offices uh, to de-escalate uh, a, 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 a gathering cloud over a particular country. Yes. And that you don't see often because you do, because it's discreet, you do not hear it. Well, it's, yeah, okay. But yes. because uh, the, the the council, that's where the problem is. The yes. council is beholding to this uh, sacred uh, uh, mantra that you do not interfere in internal affairs yes. of, of sovereign countries unless, unless asked, number one. Yes. Number two, uh, there are some uh, countries on the Security Council that have interests in a particular area. Yes. And they yes. don't want the, no, the noses of other permanent members to come uh, dictate under the guise of a Security Council uh, intervention that might thwart yes. their interest in that particular and in the case of Mozambique, you understand the, yes. the energy interest and the, yes, and the yes, natural energy. resources interest. Yes. And when, when the internal governance, unfortunately, is not up to par, yes. take the lead in preventing. Prevention is a national responsibility. Yes. But when the leaders have not you know, measured up to their sovereign responsibility to prevent that's when we have problems. Well, I mean, in, in certain cases, it's the leaders who fuel this conflict, but they, they need conflict to survive and to stay in power. So how, how, do, you, how do you get the resolution to, to, to that? And unfortunately, it is, that is the biggest challenge. Like the third time, third time is it? They, they use conflict to, to extend their stay in power. It, it is the it is one of the biggest um, how shall I put it challenge for the African yes. Union and for yes. the uh, for the Peace and Security uh, uh, Council mm. and uh, unfortunately we skirt around the issue uh, in the African Union and yes. the African Union as you know we came with this um, vision called silencing the guns vision twenty twenty that's right. As if, as if conflict starts because people have arms. Exactly. Arms are the expression of pent up, uh, needs and frustration or as an instrument of taking power. Yes. So the arms themselves are not the problem. In fact, I've written an article about why yes. that's short sighted. Yes. Silencing the guns is not going to 
resolve this this uh, this affliction on on the mm-hmm. continent. Mm-hmm. So our we we need to think of a different way of understanding the drivers of conflict. Yes. But also understanding the drivers of peace. Yes. Yes. Because people would like us to think that only about what is wrong with the continent. Yes. And and we generalize because we have five or six pockets on the continent that the continent is really ablaze. Yes. Not. It is not. And that's the purpose of, of, of this modest contribution called, of my book is to change the narrative, Desmond. Yes. yes, we have problems. Yes, that's what people would like to focus on. Yes, yes we are under the spell of the tyranny of the problems and the conflict. But yes. Africa has a different story. Yes. And no, we but... need to uncover those different stories. Yes. Uh, and in, in fact, it would be, it would be wonderful, Desmond, if your organization could start a website called News Peace. Yes. Or Peace News. Or Africa yes. Peace News. Yes, to, yes. to, to, to showcase the unbelievable leadership advances, innovations, that if we don't, uh, as African, capture them, someone yes. else will. Yes. Well, I, I, you, you've been modest. I don't think your contributions are modest. They're very, very, very good. I, I must say they're extremely good because really you've dissected the UN's peace building architecture quite well. Don't you think? I've tried. Uh, I yes. have tried, uh, you know, in, in a way that is constructive because I am a child. Uh, I'm a child of the UN. There is so much I I could not put in that book. Uh, just to uh, it's 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 my way of serving uh, the UN. Uh, yes. uh, my way of 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 making a contribution as a as an ancestor, if you will, as a senior. Yes. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, to 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 give back. Yes, uh, coming to West Africa, I mean, uh, Nigeria did so well in peacekeeping in in Sierra Leone and Liberia. How come then they themselves, the soldiers, cannot deal with this insurgency in the north? What what was the problem? Is it political lack of political will or just subversion? It's it's so complex, uh, my brother. It's so complex. Yes. It's yes. it's. Governance. Yes. It's governance. Um, and by governance means is how power is acquired. Yes. Exercised and maintained. Yes. By governance, I mean how resources are exploited and managed and shared. Yes. Mm-hmm. By governance, I mean how we live with each other. And so because there are so many governance deficits, we have some of those problems cropping up. Yes. Number two, we have development deficits. Yes. It is unbelievable that one of the richest countries would have such problems. Yes, yes. Africa. Yes. And unfortunately, gaps between the poor and the rich, the very rich and the very poor, is a global problem. And it has created this global dissent that we see everywhere. Yes. 
And so Nigeria is not alone. But yeah. I think, uh, 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 therefore, because we don't address the drivers of the conflict, those governments, governance and development deficits, we yeah. tend to focus on the symptoms. Yes. We tend to focus on, on the, on the problems that have arisen. Yes. And thinking that if we, if we manage those problems, we will have peace. If we kill Boko Haram, we will have peace. It's just like saying, if I feed my body of diseases, I will be healthy. Yes. And you won't die. Exactly. So in other words, um, but imagine if we were to, to switch that on, on its head and say, yes. let's look in Nigeria. Let's go to places in Nigeria where despite the same fault lines yes. and the same governance deficits and development deficit, let's say this, despite the same internal vulnerability, external pressures, why that conflict did not result in violence? Yes. It's in the same country. Yes. Why didn't they go to violence? What can we learn from them? And that's one yes. of the messages of the book. Yes, yes. Basically saying, yes, resolve conflict because people are dying. But at the same time, learn from places that suffer from the same fault lines and, and learn how they dealt with it peacefully. Yes. And you will find that, for example, they have deployed the local kings. Yes. yes. The local, the local infrastructure of governance. Mm -hmm. So that is what, you know, what I'm trying to, 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 to convey in parts of the book. Yes. And, uh, in your conclusion, you did mention Senegal, Gambia, and Botswana, which have been relative oases of peace. You know, just by the vulnerabilities. But all of a sudden, Senegal has gone up in flames. It did not go in flames. It went in flames in, in, in the sense, yes, in the streets and so on. Oh, yeah, yes. But, you know I mean. but it is not. Look, Senegal has had the Casamance issue for so many years. Yes. You know, it didn't turn into a civil war. Yes. And so, uh, you know, uh, uh, Senegal uh, had a movement, a civil society movement called Yanamar. Yes. We've had enough that enabled a, trans a peaceful transition from Wad to a different, a different president. Yes. Um, Senegal and, and these civil society groups, these civil society movements and their leaders did not want to be part of the government and they remained vigilant. Senegal has a particular type of Islam that enables it to pull the pull back uh, early yes. enough from the precipice. Yes. Uh, they have the latest trouble. There was an acknowledgement. Uh, there was there was an internal capacity to manage it in such yes. a way that the violence would not be would not be generalized. Yes. Similarly for Ghana and so on and so forth. So what can they teach us yes. about how to manage conflict when it when there are you know when it, it, it becomes uh, uh, evident. Although at times the seeds of conflict 
would have been sown like what's happening now in Senegal. Maybe five years time, six years down the line, that's when it will explode. I mean, that's what happened in Sierra Leone. I mean, the seeds of discontent were sown in 1982 and the war started in 1991. So do you take all of these things to consideration, to, to, just to follow up to ensure that uh, things don't get out of hand? I think Senegal has learned a lot of lessons and I think um, Senegal has so many capacities for peace. Yes. Um, and I mean, one of them, as, as you know, is inclusion. Yes, yes. Uh, you, you know who the first president yes, of Senegal is? Yes. Senegal, yes. A Christian in, yes. A, in, a, in a predominantly Muslim country. Yes, of course. He was their president. Mm. Senegal is a, is a place where people are educated to make the room mm-hmm. in the us for the them. Yes. So it has all kinds of challenges, Senegal, no doubt, but they have an architecture of peace that serves them well in times of tension. Yes. So so they they have a, a a a society that finds ways of managing conflict beyond the state beyond yes. the state even if the state is captured they yes. have counter power the civil society is a counter power similarly in ghana yes it took a long time they don't go through coups they don't do through yeah. coups anymore in yes. ghana yes. they in go ghana, through some yes. other things and so, so I think that is um, uh, gradually what we should learn from these oases of peace yeah. um, that enables uh, uh, enables Ghana and enables Senegal to use what we call their stitches and threads, so yeah. it doesn't burst at the seam when it is under duress. Yes. So, what can we learn from them? Yes. Sierra Leone, unfortunately, the fabric, yes. yes, the fabric was such that when it burst, there were no threads and stitches. Yes. The, the violence was so vile, there was nothing to hold it back. Well, the the, the, the problem starting there again with hate speech all over the place. Exactly. Yeah, you know, the making hate speeches. Yes. On online and what have you, that could lead to further yes. tension. So, how does one counter that? Well, when you have education, yes. when you have uh, um, uh, uh, vigilant uh, entity and institution that monitors radios, yes. 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 Uh, and that exists in many, many African countries that yes. are independent, um, and uh, so there will always be early warning that doesn't yes. use divisive speeches, Yes. Uh, yes. To, uh, so when a society develops internal mechanism uh, for self-governance, um, the excesses are quickly spotted. Yes. And, and people will rally. And, 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 and when you have institutions like in, uh, like in, in Senegal, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, special religious leaders who, who are who are the early warners, who are yes. the, the custodian of stability. Yes. Uh, it, it, won't, it will not be tolerated and it will be nipped in the butt. Yes. 
So, so, so what you want to see really is for African countries to solve their problems and to turn to the UN as a last resort. Not only turn to the UN, but, but make, makes the intervention of the UN not even thought of, let not alone needed. Yes. And, yes. and, and basically look at the continent's resources. Yes. That enable us now to start decolonizing mm-hmm. our mindset. Yes. Including knowledge. Knowledge is the starting point for our, for decolonizing. Yes. And my yes. book is part of the Africa Leadership Center attempt yes. mm-hmm. to draw on the knowledge of experience of African leaders like uh, myself and others, uh, practitioners who have been humbled by experience on the continent and also at awe of what the continent has that it can deploy to chart its future destiny without inviting the intervention of outsiders. Well, yes, as a visiting professor at the ALC, how do you see the future of the young people who have been trained, who have been mentored? Is, is there hope for the continent or will they, or will they fall by the wayside? There, there is a hope for the continent. Absolutely. In fact, <laughs> the continent is the hope of the world. Yes. Because of what it represents as a young continent. Yes. Um, I think ALC has a, a very uh, important role to continue yes. to groom and cultivate and nurture that crop of young people that went through uh, yes. the Africa Leadership Center. And that's something that the current leadership of the ALC is very much aware of. Yes, exactly. Uh, that they, they need, so uh, alumni is not something you think about when once a year. Exactly. So the, 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 that investment, that investment must be, uh, nurtured, so there will be a, a return on that on that investment. Yeah, I, I think you made a good point about nurturing the investment because when they go back to their country, they don't know any better. They see corrupt politicians, violent politicians. That's all they know. You and I, we grew up in a continent where there were solid politicians who gave us hope, but now these politicians don't give these young people hope. How do we maintain the, the, the interest of this? Uh, alumni to get a piece of security. My brother, you'd be surprised what they are doing individually within their sphere of influence and control. You'd be surprised. It's it's a question of time, my brother. It's a question of time. The the continent, it's going to take time. We we come from, we're still burdened with so many internal and external pressures. But we, the peoples, gradually, particularly with technology, they are innovating in new forms yes. of governance. Mm-hmm. It's coming up. And, mm-hmm. and when, when you see the, 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 the innovation, and when the innovation comes and prosperity comes from the bottom up, politicians gradually will start listening. Yes. Because the, the, the youth, the young leaders are using means of communication they're not waiting for the for the for the space to be made for them. Yes, they're taking You're it. Fine. Yes, they're taking it, my brother. Yes, in all fields. Yes. 
So it, it behooves the current leaders to heed that. That's the leadership. And to create a space for them to thrive. That's leadership as I discuss it in my, in my book. Yusuf Mahmoud from Tunisia, who spent many years at the UN heading two peace operations in Africa and is currently visiting professor at the African Leadership Center at King's College, London. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Talking Africa and ALC Pan-African Radio. For these and other programs, please visit our website at alcpanafricanradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at Radio ALC and on Facebook at African Leadership Center. For feedback on this and other programs, please send an email to info at africanradio.com.